Welcome to the On Deck Circle, a weekly podcast setting the table with lively baseball banter from two guys who love America's pastime. Let's talk baseball. Welcome back into the On Deck Circle podcast for the week of September the 3rd, 2023. Labor Day has come and gone, and if anything, the playoff races are heating up just like the temperatures across the country. Are they not, Alex? I'm hot. Are you hot? I am overheated. Sounds like it's a comparable analogy because right now the playoff races are spicy. The Northeast is inundated by heat and humidity. I, I thought Labor Day was supposed to be the end of summer. Well, yeah, but then, you know, summer always has a last gasp, and it seems like we're choking it, uh, choking the energy out of it this week with our 95-degree temperatures. Yeah, I think summer missed the memo that they it did. was supposed to be done on Labor Day. But regardless, <laughs> we're here with four sizzling items on our agenda. We got some good, bad, and ugly. Got some other things to talk about. We got some really ugly. Oh yes, we do. And without further ado, what a segue that is into segment number one. Leading off, and in this week's first segment, we want to look at good, bad, and ugly. Alex, you are chicken sandwichless, so why don't you go first? Give us your good for this past week. Yeah. A lot of good things happening in baseball, and I just decided to go with something that I saw this week that just, it hit me right. Um, I saw it on Twitter. Greg Maddox did an interview or was part of a panel discussion uh, just talking baseball, and Greg Maddox, who was the, I don't know, how long did he pitch in the major leagues? He pitched a long time, 20 plus seasons in the major leagues, and he was on a panel and Barry Bonds was brought up and just like the, the, you know, Barry Bonds, one of the greatest hitters of all time. He uh, was the original juicer. Yeah. Yeah. All that aside, you know, he was a formidable hitter and, you know, and it was, you know, the thought, the question was, is what was your you know take on facing him as often as you did? And, you know, give us something to chew on. And Greg Maddox is just an awesome listen. He does great interviews. He's uh, got a unique personality. And he said this, He said Barry Bonds was like the easiest guy to pitch against because if it mattered, you just walked him. (laughs) And I was like, that really wasn't what they were expecting him to say. But just I loved the honesty of like, yeah, I didn't really mind facing Barry Bonds because if first base was opened, he took it. If we were only up a run and he was up to bat, We walked him. (laughs) The problem in that day, though, is if you wanted to intentionally walk someone, you couldn't just put them on first. You actually had to throw four four pitches, really obvious balls. Exactly. And, you know, that's fine. But it was just uh, I just appreciated. I thought it was I thought it was just a good assessment of a Hall of Fame pitcher facing a Hall of Fame batter. And he's like, you know what? I really wasn't phased by him. And a lot of people, you know, a lot of people would be, which is what separates Hall of Famers from non-Hall of Famers, and they get they let people get in their heads. And Greg Maddox, what's what made him great is like, you know, he didn't have overpowering stuff when he pitched. He just was like a he had a, he had ph- phenomenal command, phenomenal control, was able to you know work all parts of the strike zone, and he just had this super 
cool mentality of like, I'm just not going to let anybody get under my skin. And he's probably, you know, he's joking, of course, in that interview, but I just thought it was a really awesome response. Barry Bonds, he was like the easiest guy to face. That's awesome. Uh, My good for the week is my boy. You know who I'm talking about. My boy, Trey Turner. Uh All season, he has been an angst to many Phillies fans. He was even an ugly a couple weeks ago, but not recently. Philly loves Trey Turner right now. Recently, he has been on a tear. He's in the middle of a 15-game hitting streak. During the last week, he batted 423. He had six home runs. Uh, He hit home runs in five consecutive games, just one shy of the club record. A triple, a double, 14 RBIs, two stolen bases, Trey Turner has had himself a week to remember, and not just a week to remember, but in the midst of all of this, as we're getting ready to record this, he went on the paternity list. Was he on the paternity list last night? He was. It was noticeable in the final score for the... Thank you very much. And uh, so he was on the paternity list, and it was interesting as a good, not only has he had a great week, but somebody brought up that... He went on the paternity list on the nine-month anniversary of him signing his 11-year, $300 million deal. Now, I don't need to connect those dots. Yeah. Yeah. That's my good for the week, Trey Turner. Well, my bad, and it's not even a bad, it's bad. Oh, another one of these alternate bads. Alternate bads. The Astros are in first place by themselves for the first time all season long in the 2023 campaign. You've been predicting this for the last several weeks, and sure enough... It happened. And the reason I'm saying they're bad is because the Astros have won five out of the last six games versus the Texas Rangers that they've played. Oh, wow. And they they are eight and four on the season. They're going to finish the season with a winning record, but they've won five of six and four of those wins. They've scored 10 or more runs culminating with the last two nights where they've won 13 to six and 14 to one. Yikes. Um, We talked about last week how the Astros like to view themselves as the daddy of a lot of teams in the American League. And I feel like it's time for Texas to call their daddy and say, "Hey, we need to, uh, you know, we, we need to end. We need, we need to end this oppression because uh, they've beat their way back into first place." Uh, Jose Altuve had a whale of a game, uh, one of only three players to hit a home run in each of the first three innings of a baseball game, and he's hit five home runs over the last two days. And the Astros, in case the American League doesn't know it, they tend to get good in September. And And even better in October. And even better in October. So uh, right now, they have not, by any stretch of the imagination, won the division. We'll talk more about that later in the podcast. But they are in first place, and they are rolling. And so they're my bad for the week. All right. My bad for the week is an actual bad. One of the matchups that we looked ahead to last week on the podcast was the top two teams in the National League duking it out in Los Angeles over the weekend. It was a doozy. And it it was a doozy. There was a four-game series between the Braves and Dodgers, and the Braves absolutely dismantled the Dodgers. 
Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night. Ronald Acuna became a 30-60 player. He got married while he was out in Los Angeles. He hit the hardest hit home run of the year, 121.7 miles an hour off the bat. I mean, the Braves went in. Kudos to them. They just... They sent a message to every baseball team and said, you know what? You think you're good. You're not. Well, just think. Of and the- then they came home last night and lost to the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, yeah, that, that's inexcusable. But just think of the confidence. You roll into town. You're, you're divine for the number one seed in the playoff race. And you're Acuna. And you're like, yeah, I'm just going to get married this weekend. Baller move. Why not? And then at the same time, I'm going to come out and just have an awesome series. I mean, too. To the Braves defense, they've had a historic season. So many players hitting home runs for their ball club, uh, whether it's Matt Olson with his MLB leading 45 home runs, whether it's Austin Riley or Ozzy Albies is on the threshold of 30 home runs. Ronald Acuna's hit 30 home runs. Marcelo Zuna's found himself. Marcelo Zuna, like w- that guy hits a home run almost every day. This He's hit one almost every day this last Michael week. Michael Harris, the second, Eddie Rosario. Uh, oh, oh, and by the way, the starting shortstop from the all-star game, Orlando Arcia. Yeah. I mean, it's just a stacked team. Their offense is pretty much unmatched, and they just let the Dodgers have it over the weekend. So that's my bad. The Dodgers almost getting swept at home. It's not even like they were in Atlanta. They were in Los Angeles, and they let the Braves come in and and do this to them. That's my bad for the week. My ugly, the Cleveland Guardians. Oh, Specifically, one member of the Cleveland Guardians that was picked up in a bit of a spite waiver claim, I believe. Lucas Giolito. That brother's filling up his baseball cord this season. Uh, that brother season, has not unpacked his suitcase over the last month and a half because he was recently traded from the White Sox to the Angels yep. at, you know, before the deadline back at the end of July. And then recently he was placed on waivers and the Guardians claimed him, I think, to keep the Twins from getting him. I think the Twins could have used a rotation piece. And I think the Guardians, because they have a worse record, just, you know what? We're just not going to let the Twins get him. Yeah. So they picked him up. And uh, during his time with the Angels, Giolito was 1-5 with a 6.89 ERA. Quality. He was seeking to impress in his first start with the Guardians. He came out, pitched three innings, gave up nine earned runs. So his record with Cleveland so far, 0-1 with a 27.0 earned run average. This puts him in some elite company. Not elite good company, elite notorious company. He is the first pitcher since 1899. It's a long time ago. First pitcher since 1899 to give up eight earned runs in a start for three different teams in the same season. He did it with the White Sox. He did it with the Angels. He did it with the Guardians. Way to go, Lucas Giolito. Kudos to you in just being great at stinking it up for whatever team you have put a jersey on for this year. Hopefully, the Guardians do not regret this waiver claim. Well, I think they already do. (laughs) Well, he's only had one start. So well, he has yeah. another opportunity to right the ship. Maybe he'll pitch against the Tigers this weekend. He I don't might know. have he might have three more starts this season. Maybe Potentially. Guardians are seven games back. It's these acquisitions by teams that just 
make no sense to me. They're, they're not playing for anything. Yeah. And maybe the guardians were telling themselves some sort of a story that things are going to go really well for them. And then what they lost the other night, 18 to one to the twins. Yeah. So you're like, Oh my gosh, the grand slam machine has dealt them some horrible blows this year. And by the grand slam machine, I mean, Royce Lewis. Yeah. Royce Lewis is uh he's, he's torquing the ball right now. More than torque is torquing uh, the ball. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, on to your ugly. My ugly is a legit ugly. Like maybe in the truest definition of the word, this team that I'm about to mention, it's just, there's so much with this situation that just hits me wrong. I'm like, can this franchise do anything right? Are we talking about a central American country? No. Or team? No, central. No, we are talking about the Los Angeles angels. Oh, the Los Angeles angels, the Los Angeles angels on September 5th, took their team photo, which begs so many questions right off the bat. We are almost near the end of the season. We've, we've, we've chronicled on the podcast, these acquisitions that have been made. And then the fire sale that just took place. There's been a lot of transients in the team that is the Los Angeles angels this year. I always thought the team photo was something that was taken like in spring training when the team breaks camp. I mean, at this point they've had to take a new team picture every week. Well, that's what I'm wondering here. So the angels team photo, and again, we don't know how many of these have been taken, but we know that the team photo was taken on September 5th and there was a notable man missing from the team photo. Shohei Otani. He was there. Oh, in Jersey. But there was, quote, a very tall someone from the front office, name not to be discussed, who was wearing Shohei Otani's jersey. And uh, Shohei evidently uh, was somewhere maybe medically related. I don't know, contract related, anywhere related. But he was not there in the picture. And there was a man wearing a Shohei Otani uniform standing in for him in the back row in uh, just behind a very annoyed looking Mike Trout, who's like, why couldn't I get a stand in for this? I know, right? So they are going to take a picture, take something from when you whenever you look at the team photo for the Angels this year, just know that Shohei Otani Tani will be there, but he will not have been there when that photo was taken. The photo will be photoshopped. Phil Nevin said, Shohei will be in the photo when you see it. And so, again, there are just a lot of questions here uh, regarding this PR thing for the Angels. But I was like, I've got a lot of questions. But even down to the team photo, the Angels are struggling Apparently to get on the same page. Here's my question. What was the ethnicity of the guy who stood in for Shohei? He was a very, he was a lumbering white guy. Okay. So not quite Japanese. Why have <laughs> so, people not gone after the angels for this? I wonder. I, well, there's time. There's time. This just happened. And so it just, the, the season has not gone as expected for the angels. And the team photo is now even a, 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 a mark. There was a guy who posted on Twitter. He's like, when they make the 30 for 30 documentary about this season for the angels, it'll be a dumpster fire from beginning to end. Oh my word. And he's like, I can't wait. <laughs> it's incredible. Anyway. All right. Well, that's our good, bad and ugly for this week. Let's transition to our second segment now on deck. And we want to pick up, with our playoff race update for this week. We've already discussed several of the teams in the hunt, and I just want to preview two of the current races that are perhaps the most scintillating. Yes. The AL West, uh, currently Houston is in first place, followed by Seattle, followed by Texas. 
Houston is seven and three over their last 10 games. Seattle is five and five over their last 10 games. Oh, by the way, Julio Rodriguez on the IL. Yep. Texas Rangers four and six over their last 10 games. So we're starting to see a little polarity tonight. And, and by tonight, this is a, this is Wednesday night. Tonight, Wednesday, the sixth tonight feels like a must win for the Rangers. Scherzer is facing off against Verlander tonight. Ooh, the battle of Detroit at, you know, in, in Arlington and first time these hall of fame pitchers will face each other, face again, face off against each other. Good must see TV tonight. You first time time, ever, first time ever that they will have faced off against each other. Wow. And so that that's notable. But as we've already talked about, the Astros know how to beat down the Rangers. The Rangers need to win tonight because if they lose and they're three games back, they're not out of it. But that feels like a big lead for the Astros. Yeah, especially with bullpen and rotation arms not doing well. I mean, at their peak, I mean, they were seven plus games up in that division. And so they've had a 10 game swing here over the last two months. And so this feels like a must win. But yeah, the Julio Rodriguez news. Oh, my gosh. Talk about a blow to the Mariners. I think that's to your point about the Mariners, like, exerting so much effort to get back into the race yeah. that, they, you know, they've peaked too soon, perhaps. Yeah. And expended so much energy. Well, now they have to maintain that energy to keep up with Houston and Texas. Uh, it'll be interesting to see over the next couple of weeks whether they are actually able to keep in the race. Yeah. And, you know, maybe as Houston and Texas are fighting it out... Seattle quietly well, emerges. And on, if this isn't a division race, but, oh, uh-oh. There's a, I think it was just assumed. It was assumed by me, like, oh, the, the, the Astros, the Mariners, and the Rangers, they're all going to be in the playoffs. Oh, but look over here. The Blue Jays are over here now all of a sudden. The Blue Jays are the third team in the wild card now. And so it's like now we just can't assume. Yeah, there's that added layer of pressure. Now the third-place team in that division, they just might not be in it at all now. Yeah. And so it's like nobody, you know, the, all the while as drama's unfolding the AL West and – the AL East keeps plugging along and the Jays now are right here. So, I mean, so, you know, check on the AL East. The Orioles added a game to their lead over the Rays over the weekend. Yep. So I think they're feeling pretty good. They're in a great spot. Their pitching's humming along. Uh, their offense is doing well. Mariah Mountcastle still hitting the ball good. Anthony Santander, Cedric Mullins, all those other boys doing good work. The other, the other race that I want to just touch on real quick is the NL wildcard. We had some shifting take place with the NL wildcard of the weekend. So the Phillies lost a game on the Cubs. Yep. They're four and a half instead of five and a half up. They're still in good place. The Cubs are still in a good place. However, Arizona dropped out of the wildcard. They did. And so now the, the, the three... So you know, you've got Philly, Chicago, and now there's three teams vying for the third play for the third wild card spot yep. from three different divisions. We got Cincinnati, Miami, Arizona. Cincinnati's five and five over their last ten, but they've been playing better baseball, even with the COVID bug. By the way, Look, I don't even. Don't Miami even. six and four over their last ten games. They're trending the right direction, beating teams they should beat, and then Arizona. 
three and seven over their last 10 games. They have been faltering by and large. That was due to a drubbing at the hand of the Dodgers and then just not recovering well from that losing to the Orioles as well. Well, I mean, you face the two best teams in the major league in major leagues. I mean, don't tell Atlanta that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Two of the top three for sure. Yeah, and you're just yeah, that's right. But then the, the story is going to be told. How do they bounce back? Absolutely, they, they got to get back in the race, and otherwise, you could end up with three NL Central teams in the wild card. Okay, I have said it here before, and I think I'm going to go on the record here. I've already, I've already, you know, one of the guarantees I made: the Cubs are going to be in the playoffs. That's looking really good as of you know going a month in on that prediction. That's looking pretty good right now. When everything is said and done, I think the Marlins are going to be that third team. When all the dust settles and all the games are played, I think the Marlins are going to be right there. Here's my concern with the Marlins. They're offensively offensively streaky. Yes. They're either clobbering everything or missing everything. When when you're, when the, I mean, you're not in a great place when you're dependent on, you know, Jorge Soler is the, catalyst to that offense and you might check a box score and he might hit two home runs in a night but then he might go a week and not get a hit yeah and so that's tough but it's like all of a sudden the marlins marlins are half game behind the reds right now so they're in a statistical tie with the reds for that last spot and they've got some intriguing games on their schedule coming up which we'll talk about in our looking ahead segment but I just think the Marlins just when they when you think they've fallen out of it, they mean oh two weeks ago they were almost four games back and yeah. now they're a half game back. They're just lurking. They're gritty. And they're just there and they're playing good quality baseball. They've shuffled their bullpen around a little bit. Every got a other, bit of every, other closer. every other start, Sandy Alcantara looks like Sandy Alcantara. But that's an improvement from earlier in the year. Yeah, and so it's it's just, you know, they might figure it out and find a way into the playoffs. And well, so, which I think with you know, the baseball, you know, the Reds, ooh, we love the Reds, you know, the Diamondbacks, the Giants are a bigger market, you know, and there here come the Marlins. And we could end up with two, with both Florida teams in the playoffs, which would be absolutely crazy. Yeah, well, buckle up, folks, because wild card and playoff races just get crazier from the for the rest of the way oh. for basically the last month of baseball. Last thing on this, the Brewers are two and a half games up. That division is not settled in the NL Central, even though, I mean, even though the Brewers have dominated that division, uh, that's still a relatively close race. And I just want to give a shout out because I did not know this. I heard this this week in a broadcast. Craig Council, the manager for the Brewers, is not re-signed for next mm. year. He is an effective free agent. And I think the broadcaster that I was listening to rightfully so point. I think this was on the Fox brought the national broadcast. It might have been John Smoltz even. Craig Council could be the number one free agent in the offseason if the Brewers decide not to bring him back, which would be crazy from my perspective. He's the winningest manager in the history of the Milwaukee Brewers. I believe he's the longest tenured manager currently as well. In the Major League Baseball, he is too, yes. And so, but if he doesn't resign, you want another bold prediction real quick? Craig Council, watch out Aaron Boone. Watch out, Aaron Boone. Ooh. Craig Council could be managing the Yankees next season. See, here's my bold prediction. I think he manages the Mets next season. Okay. New York. Watch out, New York. New York, New York. I just think that that's very interesting. And so he's not re-signed. The Brewers are going to be in the playoffs again, most likely. 
I don't know. We'll see. But anyway, but that's not, we're not in the, we're not in the business of bold predictions where we got another agenda item. That's right. And let's go to that agenda item in the hole. Typically we like to keep things pretty lighthearted and airy on this podcast, but every once in a while something comes up that is a serious matter. And what we want to talk about in this third agenda item is indeed a serious matter. Uh, earlier this week, Julio Arias was arrested on a felony domestic violence charge and as we talk and think through this, number one, it's a sad day for baseball. I think it's a sad day for our society. This seems like it's becoming a norm for professional sports players to not treat women properly, not treat them respectfully, not treat them appropriately. And I think that that's worth discussing this alarming trend that in professional sports, whether it's basketball, football, or baseball, that we're seeing an alarming number of professional athletes not taking care of business, not engaging in professional conduct with females or even just other people in general. Uh, and so I just wanted to discuss that quickly. I mean, th this, this is definitely has impact on the Dodgers. I mean, their rotation, if they lose Julio Arias, is going to be very thin. He brings a ton of postseason experience to their rotation. Yep. And outside of Lance Lynn and Clayton Kershaw, he's a serious piece in that rotation. And to lose him through this investigation and maybe subsequent punishment would be a serious blow to the Dodgers. But I think another piece of this is when are we going to start holding organizations accountable for things like this? So this is now the second time in two years that the Dodgers have had a pitcher accused of a domestic violence incident. Well, in the third time in three years, third time in four years, because this is the second time for Julio Urias. Second time for Julio so Urias. I want to clarify that real quick. So he was arrested this week and he was arraigned or whatever, and he was, he was booked or whatever. But like in 2019, he was arrested for suspicion of misdemeanor domestic battery. Correct. Was never charged. But nonetheless, the uh, the major Major League Baseball suspended him for 20 games for violating the domestic abuse policy, although he was never charged. Yep. And so I don't know what was going on. There, there obviously were red flags going on to the point where even though he wasn't in legal trouble, he served a suspension. And so they brought him back. Everything was fine. He pitched the, the, the last outs of the World Series in quote-unquote 2020 in that COVID weird season that we had. And now all of a sudden it's deja vu all over again, and he's right back where we were three, four years ago. I think you yeah. raise a, Yeah, I think you raise a good point. The question is, is I, I think that, yeah, the, a, a fundamental question organizationally, what do you do with these teams that have a bad track record of handling you know, these particular players. So to your point, I mean, I, I think back a number of years ago to when Josh Hamilton was playing for the angels and the Rangers, he played for the Rangers signed with the angels. Josh yeah. Hamilton had tons of issues with drugs and alcohol abuse during his time in the major leagues, not at all to equate drug and alcohol abuse with domestic violence. I'm just bringing it up as an analogy. Yep. He goes to the, he had a good support system with the Rangers went to the Angels, got back into trouble, drug issues, alcohol issues, had to go to rehab, re-signed with the Rangers, and he remarked that he never should have left them because of the accountability structure they had in place to help him. Yeah. 
And so I, I mean, because on the one hand, you look at this from an organizational perspective. From the other hand, you look at this from a personal perspective. Yep. Julio Arias is in trouble. Yeah. There's something wrong with him. Yeah. He needs help. You know, we don't just need to like make him get better so that he can continue so he can continue contributing to the team. Like he has a problem. So Dodgers or any professional sports team, what are you doing to help these players? Like Tampa Bay Rays with Wander Franco. What have you done to help him? Like, yes, now it's too late to help him because the charges have already been filed. The action has already occurred. But as you're scouting and as you're researching these players, this is stuff that has to come up. Right. This person has anger issues. This person has a history of these things. You got to do a better job of caring for these players, not just treating them as objects in your organization. Yes. I mean, we're, we're into deep, deep water here. I mean, as far as just like the, what we're talking about in this podcast now, because, it, you know, you, you have the you have the one side where, okay, um, the Los Angeles Dodgers, Dodgers are not a mental health organization. They're not. But they do have mental health professionals on staff. Oh, undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. For sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and all the organizations probably do. But and it's, if you a, can it's have, that balance it, between, hey, we're here to win baseball games. And we're here to have, you know, to create successful people. But if you can provide every organization is like, now nah, we're here to win baseball. They would lean that direction. We're if, here to win baseball. If games. you can provide custom dietitians for baseball players. Yeah. If you can provide all of this different medical support for baseball players, if you can provide linguistic translators for all of these baseball players. If you can provide all of these different auxiliary services for baseball players, even down to, I saw, I saw a video this week where one MLB player always has a fun size pack of peanut M&Ms in his locker before the game. If you can pay attention to that level of minute detail, it would appear to me that you could take care of a much bigger issue, like a ball player that has, violent tendencies well and i think even from an internal perspective the question is is like what is going on with the with the players off the field like are we not like are there is there nobody is there nobody that's befriended julio arias or someone like him to the point where you're like dude like i see how you interact with your significant other and it's not healthy dude yeah. And maybe he just doesn't care or whatever, but it just seems like this stuff it's be like there are there's a list the LA Times put out a grid here and since 2018 or something like that there have been something like 20 some odd players suspended for significant like domestic abuse issues. And there's some names on here that are like, okay, I would love to hear Marcelo Zuna's story. He was suspended a whole season, 162 games for violating domestic abuse. Now, I don't think there was uh, there charges were never filed. He served his suspension and now, you know, he's obviously contributing in a big way. I'd love to hear his story. And there's a place for like, you know, salacious allegations that have no proof and no substance to them. Right. You know, there, there have been tons of people who have tried to take advantage of baseball players' affluence to profit themselves. But a lot of this is is, is boils down to a code of conduct. Yeah. Like, are, do these teams no longer have codes of conduct for their ballplayers? I remember back in the day, there used to be curfews yeah. for Major League Baseball teams. Like, yeah. 
You went into a you went into a visiting town. You played your baseball. You went back to the hotel. You slept. You got your rest. Yeah. You know, and, and there was less margin for this. And yeah. I feel like yes, we're not we're not asking for these teams to babysit the players, but I think there needs to be some institutional guidelines and code of conduct yeah. that helps curb some of this and maybe help players that find themselves in these positions before it gets to committing a crime. Yeah. And I think, and I think you're, you're raising a point here. We're talking about societal ills here. Like our, you know, our heroes in our society reflect the society and you know, the, the people that we put on pedestals are people that are reflective of the general population. And I think you've seen, you know, the rise in mental health issues and domestic violence and drug abuse and alcoholism and all this stuff is rampant at the society level, at the, soci- at the societal level, which means we shouldn't be surprised when we see that the the sports that we revere, the the actors and and celebrities that we put on a pedestal, that they suffer from the exact same things because we're dealing with it down here as peons down the, you know, as common folk, exactly down the ladder. And so, you know, we're talking about a societal problem because I think, yeah, things look different and, you know, forget the, forget the good old days of the 1950s. Things look different in the eighties. Things look different in the nineties. Yeah. And now it's like, okay, how do we process? Like it's almost the, the, the danger is with Julio Rios that we're like, Oh, as a, as a, as a, as sports fans, we're like, Oh man, that's too bad. You know, Oh man, my, you know, the, the playoffs are going to look a little different for the Dodgers. And it's like, well, no, like domestic abuse is huge, man. Like that's, that's a big indictment against a person. Uh, that means violence is allegedly committed against another person. And the issues here, forget baseball for a second. Like this, this, this elevates the conversation and it's amazing how quickly and I don't know, I don't know if we'll ever see him again, but like in a matter of three weeks, like people went from being shocked about Wander Franco. Where is Wander right now? To him being basically scrubbed from the Rays organization. Oh, he I mean, can't be found. That happened last year with Trevor Bauer. Exactly. The allegations came out and all of a sudden he's not on the roster. He's not. You he know, just on, disappeared. Correct. Just disappears. Well, and then he came up on social media and now is it resurrected that in Japan. But. But it's just, yeah, it's just like, wow, like, is this what we've, is this what we've become is like, we've taken such a serious issue and also we just got give it a couple days. The news cycle changed. There'll be another player to talk about and we're just going to move on to the next thing. And before we know it, you know, the, the Rays are going to make a playoff run without Wander Franco and Wander Franco will really be missed. Yeah. I, I think the other part though, is oftentimes in sports, professional sports, talent supersedes character so you know if julio if julio arias is a mediocre ball player he probably gets cut but because he's a star pitcher and he's got great stuff okay we'll put up with the first arrest try and basically you know slap him on the wrist don't do this again keep playing for us though well the question and again we could dive down this well quite a quite a ways American prospects who come up through the collegiate system who come and it's like, and I know there's been a lot of criticism about these baseball factories in basically, you know, professional teams set up their camps in Mexico and Cuba in Dominican Republic and Panama in order to scout talent. 
like that's got to be a lot harder to get backstories on individuals and stuff when you're signing eight, sure. 18, sometimes 16 year old kids out of, you know, Hey, other countries, situ- you know, different situations than watching the kid that we like, Oh yeah, we saw you grow up. We saw you play, you know, travel baseball and we saw you, you know, you went to, you played college baseball and everything else. And all of a sudden, you know, that looks different than Wander Franco. Hey, you're a 14 year old stud in the Dominican Republic. Let's get you inked to a contract yeah, and we'll get you in the big leagues by the time you're 19. It's like that, that trajectory is way different. Now I'm sure there's a lot of details that I'm, I'm oversimplifying it, but it's like that needs to be talked about the vetting process and, and the, and, and the major league baseball's even talked about it. We've talked about adopting, um, uh, and, and right now it's kind of like the wild west. If you can find talent, you can sign talent internationally and people we've talked about instituting an international draft and all of that stuff. And maybe we can uh, look at some of this stuff in the off season, but this is, uh, I don't know. There's a lot of questions on a lot of fronts that yeah. probably could be discussed. So we move from looking at a serious subject like this to our next segment as we look ahead to the upcoming weekend of baseball and the playoff races. Batting cleanup. The skies have cleared. Yes. It's still hot outside, though. Yes. But as we move into the second week of n- September, we look ahead to some intriguing matchups for the coming weekend. I have two National League matchups and American League matchup. I have a feeling there might be some duplicity here. Yes. Philly has a very interesting week ahead. They're the current wild card leaders in the National League, but they play the Marlins for three games, which has playoff implications, and they play four games against the Atlanta Braves. As a matter of fact, they have eight games remaining against the Atlanta Braves between now and the end of the year. Philly should get Trey Turner back this weekend, and hopefully they can get some decent pitching because – they need to come out of this home stand above 500. Otherwise, I think the Cubs, to your point, could make a run at that wild card spot. Well, it's an interesting situation because Miami has to win. The Braves don't have to win, but they're probably going to win at least two of those games just because of the Braves. And so it's just it's a tough situation to face a desperate team. And depending on how that goes, that immediately translates to the to the Braves series. So it's it feels like a big week for the Phillies. In that same vein, I got Arizona Chicago, uh, and so we both were identical in our National League picks there. Yep. Um, Arizona has to win games. Chicago, they've built kind of a cushion. They don't have to win to maintain their wild card spot, but I'm sure they'd like to win. They'd like to be the number one wild card spot. They'd like to keep making a run uh, at the division with the Brewers. And so Arizona at Chicago, Arizona has got to right the ship. That's just a very intriguing matchup. It's in Chicago. We'll see what happens. And then I've got two American league matchups that aren't as juicy, but they're, they're interesting. Texas has to get it right. They got to right the ship. They got Oakland coming to town. Oh, yeah. The the feel-good pill that is Oakland. The, the whipping boys of the, of the major league. <laughs> of the major league. Um, Oakland is coming to town, and they got to get it right. And so you're like, okay, if you can survive tonight, and somehow if Scherzer can outduel Verlander, you get back to a game within first place, and then Oakland comes to town. Yeah. Can you handle your business? I've got another one, but I'll let you give me one more you're looking at. 
The Atlanta, or I'm sorry, the American League one that I'm looking at is Tampa Bay versus Seattle. Yep. That's got some serious wild card implications. Yep. Seattle is in the mix for the wild card. They're in the mix for the division. Tampa Bay has a two and a half game lead in the wild card. I'm sorry, they have they have a pretty substantial lead in the wild card, but they still have their eye on the division. They have a great record. They could get a bye if they won the division. Yes. They'd like to win all they'd like to win that series. So again, could. you talk about desperate teams. You got the Rays and Mariners playing this weekend. I think again, that's a great matchup with uh, serious playoff implications. Right. And then off here in the sidecar. You've got Toronto hosting Kansas City. Oh, I thought you were going to say Chicago and Detroit are playing no, this weekend. No, no, And so it's just like that, that. This is how Toronto's doing it. This is their formula to make the playoffs. They're like, oh, the 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 Mariners are facing. They're going to play some high leverage games against the Rays this weekend. Oh, we get we get the Royals over here. Don't sleep on Jordan Lyles, and Cole Reagan. By the way, we're sitting pretty. We're in the wild card right now. We can strengthen our position while the while the you know it, it'll be interesting. Texas and Toronto as we sit here are tied for that last wild card spot intriguing and so which team can handle their business and sweep their cruddy opponent this weekend <laughs> that's the question yeah a and lot of good baseball yeah. to be played this weekend a yes. lot of meh baseball to be played this weekend we encourage you, of all the matchups, Chicago, Arizona should be fun. Yes. I think Justin Steele's pitching this weekend. Cy Young Zach winner. Gallen probably is pr- probably pitching this weekend. Um, His Cy Young campaign has taken a hit. Tampa Bay, Seattle, also a good matchup. Lots of good baseball this weekend. Enjoy the baseball. And, oh, by the way, football starts back up this weekend, but eh, watch baseball. Watch baseball. And until next time... We're out of here.